Praise the Lord, everybody. I told the last service I come from a church that is predominantly African-American. So when the preacher says, praise the Lord, everybody, usually the people say, amen, amen. amen. Y'all are quick. <laughs> it's great to be here. As Pastor Benu said, it's, uh, we've been wanting to come here for quite a while, have gotten to know, to know Pastor AJ and Pastor Benu through different events and different things, and it's been a blessing for us. Uh, we didn't know what we were coming into today, though, at Seven Mile Road. We didn't know. We knew it was a diverse con uh, congregation. We knew a lot of things about it, but I didn't know that there were like, he said 105 kids. It feels like 1,005 kids. <laughs> My wife and I are pretty much empty nesters. Our uh, youngest just graduated from college. We do have three grands, but... This is like, okay, Jesus, here we are. And, and the, the life that's bursting forth here is just beautiful, beautiful to behold. So we are thankful and grateful to be with you guys this morning at Seven Mile Road. Um, today, as we look at Romans chapter 5, the first five verses, I'm going to speak on the subject, God's Setup for your success. God's set up for your success. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is true and your word is able to guide us in every way that your name might be greatly glorified in our lives. So use this time now, Lord God. Use it for your glory. Use it for the good of your people. Have your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God set up for your success. I remember some years ago um, when I was about to enter college. And uh, the first day of being on campus, my first time really being away from home at college and didn't know what all to make of it and being a bit nervous. But they had this gathering of all the students was the first thing. Uh, one of the first things that they did, and we all went into the big auditorium on campus for the freshmen, and so they're giving us different messages of how to be successful in school and what to do and what not to do. But then the president of the college stands up, and he says to us all sitting in this auditorium, look at the person to the right of you and to the person to the left of you, and then he says, one of those people won't be here next year. And I'm like, which one? <laughs> And am I one of them? Who, how do you know this? Is this a prophetic word? What is, what is happening here? But what he was saying to us was that uh, the reality is about 50% of college freshmen don't become college sophomores. Uh, starting out, getting there is the easy part. Actually following through and succeeding through uh, college is the hard part. That's true in life, isn't it? I mean, sometimes getting started is much easier than following through. Forbes magazine says that about 80% of new business startups fail within the first 18 months. Starting up is exciting. Starting up is wonderful. Actually succeeding and plowing through some of the hard things is a bit more difficult for us. I wish that wasn't true of church plants. I am so excited to be here at Seven Mile Road, which is a church plant that's only eight years old. And here you are. God has 
bless this church plant, but the reality is that a high percentage, well over 50% of church plants don't make it. And so uh, church plants don't make it, students don't make it, businesses don't make it, but let me tell you this, God wants you to make it, amen? amen. And uh, y'all get it already, that's how we do. God wants you to make it, and he has given you what it takes to make it. Look at, we're going to look at four things in this text. I'll go over them real briefly right now, but four things you need to succeed. First of all, you need the right environment to succeed. If you start a business in the middle of a depression, you're probably not going to succeed. If you start your business and you're selling a product and people don't have any money in the environment, you're going to have a hard time selling your product. Secondly, you need the right connections. You can have a great business plan. You can have a great idea that will meet the needs. But if people don't know about your idea or your product, if you don't have good marketing behind you, you're probably not going to succeed. Many businesses fail in the early stages because they can't get the capital that they need. They don't have the right connections. You need the right connections to succeed. Thirdly, you need the right perspective. Because whatever you're doing in life, in business, in the church, as a believer, there will come times that are hard. I wish we could say, well, I'm blessed by the best, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm good all the time. The reality is you're going to go through some stuff in life. Amen? Amen. Y'all are good. So we're going to go through those things. And so we need the right perspective that will allow us to plow through and to make it through difficult times. Fourthly, we need the right power. Because even when you've got your business plan together, the environment's right, the connections are right, the perspective is right, you still need something behind you to move you forward. Both at the beginning, in the middle, and in the end. You're going to need some help. You are going to need some help with that. So... As we look at the book of Romans, uh, the fifth chapter, it's going to tell us and give us ways in which we are truly able to make it through and do what God calls us to do. So this book, Paul lays out the means by which and the way in which God's people are set apart by him to succeed in such a way that God gets great glory from our lives. So at the very beginning of Romans, he introduces the subject. And in chapter 1 and verse 16, God says that this salvation that you've been given is such a great salvation that he says it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, if you're a Greek, it doesn't matter what you are. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone. So he introduces the book this way. And then he goes into from verse 18 in chapter 1 to verse 20 of chapter 3, why we need this great salvation. And he says, everybody needs it. Jews need it, Gentiles need it, rich need it, poor need it. It doesn't matter your ethnicity or your background. You need it because you have a problem, and that problem is called sin. 
And it's not just the sin of other people, it's your own sin that stains you before a holy God. And this holy God is, a per, is perfect in righteousness. And because of that, sin must be dealt with. You've got a problem. All of us, he says, have a problem. With it, and, it, and the problem is a sin problem. And so and this is laid out for us in, in that part. And then he goes on to say from Romans 3.20 through the fourth chapter, he not only tells us why we need to be justified by God, why we need to be saved, but how that actually happens. And so the good news is that it doesn't happen because he zaps us in such a way that we start living perfectly and we live in such a way that we own up to and that God says, I, I, have, to, I have to let them in my kingdom because they never mess up. The reality is you're going to mess up before Christ, when you come to Christ, and after you come to Christ. You know, I, I think sometimes of what, my, my name is Larry Smith. But in terms of my standing before God, probably a better name for me would be Jack. And my last name would be spelled D-U-P. So my name would be Jacked Up. Because in terms of my standing before God, it is, if he's just looking at what Larry did, it's not Larry, it's Jacked Up. And we're all named Jacked Up in terms of our righteousness before God. But the good news in Romans 3 and 4 is that God has made a way and it's not based on your merits. It's based on the perfect merits of his son, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives us grace because of that. And in that grace, he says, how can I access that grace? You access it simply by believing in his son. Oh, justification, brothers and sisters, is good news. One, one preacher put it this way, justification, in justification, God looks at me just as if I'd never sinned. Isn't that a wonder? Isn't that a wonder when you know at least some portion of the stain and the ugliness of your sin that a holy God wipes that out because of the finished work of Jesus Christ? Well, let's look at what he does here. Then in chapter 5, he goes from telling us why we need salvation to how it's accomplished. Now he's going to tell us the benefits of this justification, salvation that he's given you. So the first one is this. He puts us in the right environment. And the right environment that God provides for us as his children is peace with God. Peace with God. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that's good news. Listen, it's, it's, this isn't a hard word to understand, but when you get it, it will bless your soul. God is not mad with you. If you've given your life to Christ, God is not angry and looking for you to mess up. Too many times we, even as believers, can easily fall into this kind of belief system that, man, if I mess up, God is waiting for that. He's going to stomp on me. He's going to hurt me. Some of us grew up thinking of God that way, and sometimes that's hard to get out of you. But the reality, what God is saying here, is that because you've been made right 
through faith in the grace of Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. God is no longer your enemy. In verse 6, we're referred to before Christ as ungodly. In verse 10, we're referred to before Christ as enemies of God. God says, you're no longer my enemy, you're my friend. I'm your father, and I'm going to tell you what kind of father I am. I'm the kind of father that's going to love you no matter what. That's the kind of father I am. We have peace with God. That, that's good news. Let me use an example of how that, you might see how good of news that is. Let's say, Pastor Benu, my friend, uh, I find out that this pastor, this man of God at Seven Mile Road, I found out he stole $1,000 from me, snuck it out of my bank account some sneaky kind of way. Now, here I am, Pastor Larry from Epiphany, but I'm about to lose my Holy Ghost when I find this out. I'm about to lose all the sanctification I've had over 30-something years of being a Christian, and I'm just hot with this brother. I am mad, and I am on my way to have a meeting with him that he don't even know about yet. So I'm, I'm ready to meet this guy, and uh, I'm on my way, but on my way, I'm stopped by a stranger. And the stranger says, Larry, I want you to just forgive uh, to, to forgive Benu, I say, are you crazy? <laughs> I, do you know what he did to me? Do you know how he did it? How underhanded it was? How nasty it was? How wrong it was? He's taking money from me. He said, I need you to forgive him. And by the way, here, I have something for you. And he gives me 100 G's. That's $100,000. He said, this should cover it. I said, amen. Hallelujah. I think that'll cover it. Okay, we're good now. So what do you think happens when I meet Pastor Benu now? Am I mad? Am I angry? No, I'm good with him. Matter of fact, I'm saying, hey, man, want to go out and get some water ice? It's on me. Let's get a cheesesteak. We're Philly guys now. Let's, let's do it. Whatever you want, get whatever you want. It's on me. I'm good. I'm good. Why? Because his sin has been paid for excessively paid for that's what God has done for you in Jesus Christ there's no leftover wrath in, in, in the Old Testament it says he's he drinks down the cup of wrath to the very dregs in other words this wrath that God had against sin there's none left not a drop not a drop towards those who are in Jesus Christ you have the right environment secondly not only the right environment but the right connection access to God look at verse 2 through him we've also obtained access somebody say access there you go we've obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand God says not only do we have the right environment but we have the right connections in business you need to get capital in business you need to have marketing expertise in business you need all these different things and to live this Christian life we need access but he says here through Jesus Christ you now have access to God in other words you have a VIP 
pass backstage all access to God at any time, all the time. This is what God gives us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says when when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible wondrously tells us that the veil of the temple was torn in two. The veil that kept people out from the holy of holies, from the presence of God Almighty. The veil was torn in two. What does that mean? It means that now there's nothing between you and God. Jesus has taken care of it. God's presence is available to you and to me through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's good news. I hope you get just how good that is. I remember a time looking looking at this this idea of having access. Our problem is not a problem of not having access to God. That's not a problem of any person here who's believed in Jesus Christ. But we do have a problem. The problem is we don't avail ourselves of that access. We don't take advantage of it. We don't use it. I remember when I was in school, I was a pretty good student in most things, good in math, good in history, good in reading. But there was a subject in high school that tripped me up. That subject was French. I was not very good in French. To this day, I can say bonjour and omelette du fromage, which means cheese omelette, and that's basically my French. I was not very good in French. I didn't apply myself. I didn't understand how come I have to learn French. Now I wish I did. My wife and I went to Paris a little while ago. I tried to order. It wasn't a good scene, y'all. I didn't learn French well. But my teacher, like my other teachers, said, listen, I have office hours. If you need help, if you're struggling, come to me. I can help you work through things. But the funny thing is, the classes I did well in, the subjects I was very good at, I would talk to the teachers because I felt some competency. I wasn't embarrassed to go to the teacher in those classes. But the subject that I struggled in, that I was doing poorly in, basically because I didn't study much, I wouldn't go and avail myself of the help that was there and ready for me. Brothers and sisters, we do that spiritually. We do that too much. We're going all kind of places to get help. And God says, you have access to me. You don't need something else from somewhere else. Jesus says, abide in me, John 15. And I'll abide in you. And you'll be able to bear much fruit if you abide in me. God calls us not just to know that we have access, but to get in there with him. Amen? We have access to God. God sets us up by success with the environment of peace with God, the connections of access to God. And thirdly, by giving us a right perspective, which is hope in God. Look in the middle of verse 2. He says, into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul is saying here through the Holy Spirit, That in all of this, God has given us a perspective that 
focuses in on hope and will look at that in boasting and glorifying the glory of God that gets us through. We're going to have, and we'll see in verses 3 and 4, we're going to face difficult, hard things as believers in Jesus Christ. Look, whether you love God or don't love God, life is going to be hard sometimes. Amen? We live in a fallen world, in a world stained by sin. Our bodies uh, go through the effects of the fall. I know this. I am 56 years old. I, see, I forget how old I am. That tells you the effects of the fall. Um, a few weeks ago, I was playing basketball with some young boys. Like, I've been working out. I've been doing stuff. I've lost some weight. I said, I'm going to show these young boys how, how I'm going to old school them in basketball. About two minutes in, I said, I am in trouble. This body, the mind says, do this. The body says, what you doing? It didn't work out so well for me. But the Bible calls us to have a perspective based on the hope of the glory of God. One day, I'm going to get a brand new body, y'all. One day, one day, I saw Michael jump from the foul line. I, I just want to do that one time in heaven. Matter of fact, I'm going to go from the three-point line and just dunk it over my head. I can't wait. But we need to have a perspective of the hope of the glory of God that resonates inside of us. Now, that's an interesting word that Paul uses in Romans 5 that is translated in the ESV as rejoice. Actually, that same word is used 37 times in the New Testament. The three times he uses it in Romans 5 are the only times it's translated as rejoice. In other times, even in the book of Romans, it's translated as boast. Now, the ESV has a text note that says, or boast. I thank God for that little text note. But the reason I think that that is a helpful translation, boast in the glory of God, is this. First of all, how many of us have a party for our sufferings and tribulations? I'm having a tribulation party. I just want you to know I'm going through right now. Life has never been worse. Um, bring, you know, I got cake for y'all. Come on over to my house. I don't know. I don't know. I've never had and never been to or invited to a tribulation or a suffering or an affliction party. But, but he says, he uses this word that's tied. He uses it in Romans chapter 2 where he talks about the fact that uh, in Romans chapter 2 that the Jews Boast in having the law. So in other words, he's saying in chapter 2 of Romans, they're saying we're better than you because we have the law of God. We're better than Gentiles. Now, whether it's Jew or Gentile, whether it's different ethnicities, whether it's different tribes, whether it's different uh, socioeconomic statuses, that is what fallen human beings do, right? We look for something to boast about, not only to be proud of, we should be proud of things in our heritage, in, in our ethnicities. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're looking for something that says, and therefore I'm better than you. Right? And Paul sees this and calls the Jews out on this in chapter 2. But then he uses the same word in chapter 5, and he says, we boast in the glory of God. 
not boasting about anything I did. I'm not boasting about what a, a great Christian I am. I'm boasting in my God. So look at verses 3 and 4. He says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings or we boast in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance endurance produces character and character produces hope you see this rhetorical chain here that paul lays out from suffering to endurance to character to hope he says how can i actually rejoice or how can i boast in the middle of difficulty and affliction i can boast in it because i know what it produces in the end i know at the end of this God is forming me to be a man of God. God is forming me, if you're a woman, to be a woman of God. God is forming me to be a person of greater character, to look more like the Lord Jesus Christ in how I live. He says, I can, I can get excited about this thing. I know what God is doing. If you, if you work out uh, in the gym with weights, um, you, you know that if you put two pounds on the bar and you lift it a hundred times you lift it 200 times it's two pounds on the bar you're not going to get stronger and bigger now it may tone you a little bit there's nothing wrong with that but if you want to get stronger if you want to add muscle mass you need to put more weight on the bar amen you need to put some weight on that bar you need to make that thing heavy in order now now one word that people use for getting big i mean there's some guys when i go to the gym i just look at them like man brother this is a monster in front of me right here there's a guy who works out on every time i see him he's on the same machine every day and his bicep he's a small guy but his biceps are like knock the ceiling out of this place i'm like dude you are a monster but he puts a lot of weight on the bar and and people call that getting swole so so here's what i would say if you want to get swole, you need more weight on the pole. Amen? If you want to get bigger, you got, you got to go through some things. Now, this is true of us in the Lord. So no one is a mature and strong believer who hasn't been through anything yet. We often think we are somewhere in God and life and tribulation and suffering reveals I ain't where I thought I was. I'm sorry, I know y'all are educated and I'm saying ain't, but that's just who I am. We're not where we thought we were. Tribulation, suffering, and difficulty, he said, produces endurance, the ability to stand up under difficult circumstances. And endurance produces, uh, uh, endurance produces character. Now, this word character in in this chapter, is, we can use the word character and it can mean good character or bad character. That's not what it means here. When he says it produces character, he's talking about it producing a maturity in Christ that has passed the test. So this uh, affliction, this suffering produces the kind of perseverance to stay with it through the hard time, which produces a mature character and character gives us hope. Listen, brothers and sisters, in the difficult times in life, we need to have our hope, but it's a hope that's firmly rooted in the finished work of Christ and in his gospel. That's 
where our hope is. This past week, we had a, a, a small group at my home. We have those three times a month. And last Sunday, our senior pastor, Pastor Mason, preached on the unity of the church. And his message was, why I still believe in unity. Our congregation is largely African-American or Caribbean or of African descent. There's some you know, light-skinned people like me there too and, and some other folks. But uh, So we're sitting in our life group setting and we're talking about the sermon and uh, I'm the only white person in the room and we got about 12, 13 people there and we're talking through this and just I am hearing the depth of the pain of my brothers and sisters in the Lord behind the realities in our current world. This isn't just 50 years ago with Martin Luther King Jr. when he was assassinated, but it's 2018 of what my brothers and sisters are going through now. And I was almost overwhelmed. Now, that's something for me to be in that place and be overwhelmed, but I'm realizing they're overwhelmed all the time. This is hard. It's my wife, Harriet, right here. I meant to uh, introduce her before. She stayed with me for 33 years so far. Amen? Pray for number 34, y'all. God has given me a good wife. But um, the, the, the reality is that uh, when you're going through something so difficult, particularly something that doesn't resolve itself quickly, you need to have your eyes focused on the hope of the gospel. Or you're going to give up right before it's time when God would really bring you through. We need the right environment. We need the right connections. We also need the right perspective. And then, well, let, let me just say this with the right perspective. One other piece here with the right perspective. When our hope is focused on the glory of God, God will allow you to do what you otherwise would not be able to do. God uses the example of Abraham in Romans Four. And of course, that story comes out of Genesis, the life of Abraham. You know, Abram was his name. And when he's 75 years old, which to most of us is a pretty mature dude, he's 75. Him and his wife, Sarai, they have no children. God says, I'm going to give you children like the stars of the sky. It's going to blow you away. Abraham, Abram's like, yeah. Let's get it. And they're going to glorify your name. I'm going to glorify my name through your descendants, which will be more than can be counted. Abram's down with that. Eleven years later, him and Sarah have been working at it, but nothing's happened. Obviously, he wasn't a member of Seven Mile Road. <laughs> They've been working at it. Nothing's happening. Sarai comes up with an idea. She says, yo, Abe, how about because this ain't working between me and you, but I got my maid servant here, Hagar. How about you get with Hagar? Let's give this a, 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 a shot, and we'll call the offspring that you have with Hagar. We'll call that our son. Abraham says, bet. That sounds good to me. So they do that. What do they get? They get Ishmael, right? Ishmael comes out of that, and Abram goes before God and says, accept. Let, let Ishmael be the one. God says, no, no, that's not the one. 
13 more years pass. Abram's 98 or 99, and God again promises him. Abram's like, are you kidding me? Sarah overhears him and laughs. This can't be. I, the things that we used to even do to try, we can't even try no more. It just doesn't work that way no more. I'm 99. Sarah's 90. Stuff is the, the, stuff's not working no more. So, so we know we can't do this, but God says, yeah, it's going to happen. And God produces for them Isaac. What, what is God teaching Abraham that he wants to teach you and I? God works in our lives to the point where we realize that we cannot of ourselves produce what God called us to produce. So then what we can't, when what we can't produce is actually produced through us, we recognize that we're not the ones that produced it. In other words, there's not a vestige, there's not a little piece, there's not an inch of the glory that I can say, look what I did. But because I came to the realization that I was impotent to be able to produce what God called from my life, and yet it came to pass, that was God. That wasn't me. That's God. And God is glorified. Listen, when God is at work in your life, he's going to put you in difficult circumstances sometimes, in hard situations, and he is going to show you your lack of ability so that he can show up and you'll glorify him for his ability. We need the right perspective, hope in God. The last thing we need for God's set up for success is we need the right power. Look with me at verse 5. And he says, this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out, it has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God's telling us to succeed. I am going to pour out for you my love through the Holy Spirit. I love the way he puts this phrase. Um, he pours out his love to his people through the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I, I kind of think of it like this, like if, if my job was to give everybody, everybody at Seven Mile Road, everybody at Epiphany, everybody at every church in between on this continent, in Africa and Asia and South America and all over the world, if I had to pour out the Holy Spirit, what I would do is get a little dripper. And I would make sure I put a little drip of Holy Spirit on you and a drip on you and a drip on you because I don't want to run out of Holy Ghost. That's the way I think. But God didn't think that way. God says his love is poured out on you through the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you saw the Super Bowl, at the end of the Super Bowl, Coach Peterson got a Gatorade bath from the players, right? They took the big bat of Gatorade and just poured it all over, drenched the coach with that. That's how God does us with the Holy Spirit. He pours out his love. He pours out his presence. The power that we need, the right power, is the abiding presence of God. And when you have 
been connected to God through justification with Jesus Christ, he pours out his spirit on every single believer in Christ. Don't let anyone confuse you. If you put your faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Don't let somebody tell you if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Ghost. If you said yes to Jesus Christ, if He is your hope, if your faith is in Him, then you have the Holy Spirit. Listen, brothers and sisters, God has given you, He has given us everything we need for life and godliness in Jesus Christ. I thank the Lord for what He has done in my life. And I thank the Lord that for many of you, you have seen that wonderful, amazing, transforming power of God at work in your life. Now, I know I have some questions that they're, I think they're going to put up on here, but my computer is not working, so I can't see what those questions are. So I'm going to turn around and read them to you. So the first question in applying this message from today is this. What is one change you can make in your life that will help you to honor God more consistently? In other words, what's one thing that God is calling you to do so that your life will consistently reflect the access he's given to you, the peace that you have with him, all of these good gifts? And the second question is, what's one thing you can do that will help you to honor those around you as fellow image bearers of God. In other words, how do I live in such a way based on the fact of all that God has done for me so that I honor every person that I meet with and come across in my life as an image bearer of Jesus, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian. Amen. God says that every person bears the image. And so we treat people in that way, God has given us a great gift in Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that you will recognize what that affords you. God has given you everything you need to succeed and to walk out this life in Christ. Now, what does success look like as I close? It doesn't like, look like what this world calls success. Some may we say sometimes people that got money, some may have it like that. Others don't have it like that. That's not what determines success in God's eyes. Luke, Jesus said in Luke, blessed are the poor. So it's not how much you have. It's not measured in the degrees that you have. It's not in diplomas. It's not in worldly goods. It's not in anything else. But success in God is measured by one thing. Are you being consistently recreated into the image of Jesus? More and more and more. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you, O oh God, that you have watched over us and kept us. Lord, for everyone here that knows you, I pray that they will take full advantage 
of what you've given each one of us so that our lives will glorify you even more. Lord, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you in the pardon of their sins and the joy of believing, I pray that you might do a work in their lives, that they wouldn't leave this place without talking to someone about their need to be forgiven and justified by a holy God. Lord, have your way. Glorify your name, I pray, in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.